This is Alexander Badgett, and you're listening to The Bankster Podcast, the only podcast dedicated to the fascinating and ever more consequential world of central banking. Now, this is the third part of The Bankster Podcast's ongoing research into the life and the works of Mariner Stoddard Eccles. So, uh, without delay, we're going to dive in. On today's episode, I'm going to read a few fun experiences from Eccles' childhood, some of which come from Eccles' own autobiography, and others come from the biography of Eccles written by Sidney Hyman. There are four stories told from the ages of 6, 8, 12, and 14. Eccles was born into a very large yet very affluent family. However, he was taught to work very hard at a very young age. Lots of the stories Eccles tells of himself and the stories others tell of his childhood revolve around this type of work. But in many other aspects, he was a regular kid, indistinguishable from other kids in his time and ours. I hope you enjoy these short anecdotes of the child Mariner Eccles. The first story is the nickname from the biography. In 1896, at the age of six, Mariner was enrolled in a school in Baker City. In that same year, he acquired a nickname, Nickelface. It was a byproduct of his mispronunciation of the word first. On a summertime visit to his grandmother in Logan, his uncle Robert saw the child holding a beautiful apple and offered to buy that apple for a nickel. But young Mariner Eccles was cautious. He said, quote, you give me the nickel face, he said, mispronouncing face for first. Anyways, the exchange between the two went the rounds of the family, and the nickname born from the phrase, well, it stuck around. The next story is called When I Became a Capitalist, and it's from Eccles' autobiography. It was in Logan that I learned how to walk and talk. This mastered, at the stout age of three, I was moved back to Oregon, where a new home was in readiness for my mother at Baker City. Five years later, I began my education in the lumber business. Though my father was a millionaire by then, he felt the age of eight was a suitable one for his children to go to work. He wanted none of us to grow up in idleness or acquire a taste for easy living. Though his plan in this respect was fulfilled only in part by his 21 children. In my own case, there was my mother to oversee its execution. She, too, agreed that time spent in idleness was not good for a boy. And so, in that summer when I was eight, I was sent to the box factory that was part of the Oregon Lumber Company and was told to carry my weight in boxes. The rate of pay was five cents an hour for ten hours of work. When I held in my hands the first 50 cents for a day's labor, my father offered a plan whereby I could be taught to follow in his footsteps and become a capitalist by curtailing the consumption of my current income. At the outset of that first summer, he said that if I saved my money until I had $100, he would sell me one share of Oregon Lumber Company stock at its par value. It's worth much more than that, He explained with great care, and if you come to own a share, you will be a capitalist. For the sake of being a capitalist, I saved $27 and a half that first time around. The next summer, my daily earnings were raised from 50 to 75 cents. And by the end of the third summer, the combined savings totaled $100. I was sold the share of stock as promised and became a capitalist at the age of 11. 
the feet won a treasured compliment from my father, which was multiplied many times over in the compliments I paid myself. I've never ceased being a capitalist since then. The next story is called A Mother's Driving Influence, from the biography. Any signs of backsliding from his dedication to work were dealt with in summary fashion by his mother. When he was about 12, he was put in charge of an old dump cart pulled by a swayback horse named Old Blue. His job was to collect sawdust from the sawmill and dump it into a separate field to be used as additional fuel for a nearby power plant. It was boring work, and Mariner sought diversions. Squirrels abounded in the area, and one day he set a trap on one of his trips from the mill to the dump, finding on his return that he had bagged a squirrel. He continued the process for some days until he had caught several live squirrels. But to enjoy his dominion all by himself struck him as selfish, and he thought that his captives would make an imperial gift to his mother. At the presentation ceremony, however, there was no word of thanks. Ellen pursed her lips, opened the door of the cage, and released the squirrels. Her motives were not kindness to animals, but rather to punish Mariner for allowing himself to be distracted by the antics of squirrels, when all his thoughts should have been focused on increasing the number of loads he hauled from the mill to the dump yard. The next story also comes from the biography. It's called Frog Legs. There was a far more serious breach of discipline. This summer, Mariner was nearing 14. He and one of his classmates worked together in the lumber yard, stacking boxwood. One day, they were seized by the idea that if they put a roof of wood across an aisle formed by the pillars of stacked wood, they would have a little house of their own. Having done that, they realized they had a craving for frogs' legs, and there were swarms of frogs in a nearby creek. Each morning, when Mariner left for work, he managed to conceal in his lunch pail some flour, salt, pepper, and kitchen oil. His co-conspirator brought to work a BB gun and some tapioca. Tapioca fired at the frogs, stunned them. The two boys then rushed in, cut the legs off, skinned them, and retreated to the little house they had made. They built a fire inside, and Mariner fried the legs to a turn. The slaughter continued for several weeks to the delight of the boys' stomach and to their pride in their shrewdness. Then came a day, however, when a plume of smoke rising from the boxwood caught the eye of the yard foreman, who was highly sensitive to the ever-present danger of fire in the area. He rushed to the peril point, discovered the two boys at their meal of frog's legs, raked them fore and aft for their criminal negligence, and threatened them with exposure to a punishing world. After the foreman's wrath blew itself out, the crime was buried in the secret archives of his memory. No report of the deed was conveyed to David Eccles, Mariner's father, or to Mariner's mother, Ellen, which might have been more dangerous. Mariner and his classmate, trembling in every limb from their brush with disaster, were transferred to another job. Today's episode was written, edited, and produced by me, Alexander Badgett. Reach out with your feedback, comments, and questions on Twitter or via my website www.thebanksterpodcast.com Leave a rating and share the podcast with your coworkers and classmates. Thanks to all of you for listening, and I'll see you next time on The Bankster Podcast.